I want you to open your Bible over to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. This is a two-part message, you might say. I've entitled this, The Longest War in History. Now today is what many people call Palm Sunday, and it uh, historically begins what's called, some people call it Passion Week or Holy Week, and it begins with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and when he did that, he actually fulfilled a prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, in verse 9, that was written hundreds of years before. And Zechariah 9, 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And that's exactly what Jesus did on what we call Palm Sunday, the Sunday before his crucifixion. And it was very significant. And of course, the people got the branches. They laid them on the ground and on the path and started crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. And of course, that magnificent introduction and welcome was short-lived, wasn't it? Because of what happened just a few days later. But what it does, this issue of Passion Week, which is incredibly important, and by the way, let me say this. I, I know we're not liturgy type. It's not, we're not like a liturgical type church here, but do this, okay? Now we don't, you know, like when I grew up in a Catholic church, we had the stations on the cross and so forth and, and all of that, you know, the Good Friday and, and all of that. And, and that's, that's all fine, but here's the point. Here's the point. We say, oh, you know what, but we're not, you know, we believe Jesus did it all. He, he did it all. He did all the work and all that. I get that. I get that. I get that. But will you do this this week? Will you think about it? Will you meditate about how much God loves you and what Jesus did in suffering and paying your sin debt and my sin debt so that we could be free, that we could have eternal life and escape a literal, as Dr. Arnold calls it, fire-burning hell for all eternity. And that's the truth of it. And so let's think about it this week, okay? This issue of Passion Week brings to the forefront the sufferings of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. It emphasizes the spiritual battle of the ages, culminating at Calvary, and then, of course, the empty tomb. Folks, the battle has been won. Jesus Christ conquered death and the devil through his death and then his resurrection. That is why we call it good news. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news. But here's the truth of it. While the war has been won in light of eternity... It has not been accomplished yet in real time. So we are in a spiritual war today. The war continues. And yes, we know the outcome. And we know, for those of us who have trusted Christ as Savior, we know we are on the side of victory because we are in Christ. We've trusted him as Savior. Nevertheless, the battle is raging. The battle continues And what we need to do is we need to understand, okay, as a believer, what is my part in this battle? Now go with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're not going to cover that many verses here in chapter 6 today, but we are going to look at some incredible truths and also some cross-references. 
And it says in verse 10, finally, my brethren, finally. Now, that's interesting. After all we've been given in Ephesians, talking about our salvation in Christ, talking about the body of Christ, the church, talking about what Christ has done and the mystery of the church, that it wasn't known in ages past, and then talking about how the church is to function and how God set it up and the mission, what it is we want to accomplish, and then talking about the principle of submission and the key of that principle being yielded to the Lord and to his Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the one who provides for us all the power, all the ability to accomplish what God wants us to in the lives we live. And that includes the home, that includes the workplace. I mean, we go right down, right? We're kind of given an outline here of where we've been so far. But it doesn't stop there. It says, okay, all of these things, God says, I want you to know all these things, And I want you to understand my plan. And I want you to understand how you and your family and the people around you fit into the plan. And now I want you to understand what it is I want you to do and accomplish. And that's what we come to today. Being good soldiers in the war, the longest war in history. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Spiritual war spiritual war. So let's look at these and let's break this down. First is this today. We are to realize our strength is in the Lord, not ourselves. This spiritual battle, folks, we are engaging spiritual wickedness. We are engaging demonic powers. We are fighting literally the devil and his minions for the souls of men. Now, again, we don't do it on our own. That's why it says in verse 10 is way of introduction into this part. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We realize our strength is in the Lord, not ourselves. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5, it says this, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Our sufficiency is of God. And that is something just like you understand that you can't earn your way to heaven and you're not saved by works. Folks, the victory is not in our works. The victory is in the power of God. And as we yield to him and submit to him, then we step out in obedience and then we can experience that victory and be fruitful as Christians. That's why we sang today the great hymn. I think Christy put the... uh, the hymns together for today, but she didn't know I was going to quote this in my notes. The second verse, I believe it is, stand up, stand up for Jesus, stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer, where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Be never lacking there. If we do it God's way, we can be effective soldiers. We can make a difference in the world in which we live. And this is incredibly important. The Lord is God Almighty, the sovereign one of the universe. Understand this. Satan is a created being. He is no match for God. 
It's not like a boxing match where you have in one corner a very capable boxer and in the other corner another boxer very similar in, in, his, in his statistics and his, you know, his weight and his reach and effectiveness and his record and all that. And boy, this is really going to be some fight. No, that's not the issue. But the issue is Satan is a spiritual being. He is an angel. He's the head of all the fallen angels, which we call demons. And there is a war going on that we cannot see with our eyes, but we can see the effects of the war with our eyes. And we are to engage in that as God's children. If you have put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, God himself lives inside your body. You are in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. You need to see yourself. I'm a child of the King. I'm a child of God. And I have him in me, and I have his Holy Spirit in me, and I have a new nature in the Word of God, and I can be and live a victorious Christian life for Christ and make a difference. That's how we need to see. You have his power in your life to defeat the world, the flesh, and the devil. But it's not automatic. And that's why we have this passage in the Bible. It's not automatic. We do this by faith. And what does that mean? It means we trust in the Lord. As we go forward as Christians each day, we trust in the Lord. I heard a pastor um, talking. It was in a more of a casual setting. And he was talking about I'd never heard this before, but you know what? I've recently been trying to, starting to remember to do this when I get up because I haven't done this my whole Christian life. Not the way he talked about it, but I thought, you know, that makes sense. He says this, when he gets out of bed in the morning, as soon as he, he gets out and he puts his feet on the floor while he's still sitting on his bed, he prays and he asks the Lord, Lord, Would you fill me? Would you control me by your Holy Spirit today? I want you to control my life. I want you to use me as a vessel for your honor and your glory. He says he does not get out of bed before he prays that. You know, that's good. That's biblical. And we ought to be doing that. It's very, very important. We do it by faith. We trust in the Lord. And then we couple our faith in Christ with our obedience to what he's given us to do. We as believers are to be living in dependence upon the Lord as much as possible, conscious. So what it means, we walk by faith, okay? We trust in the Lord. That is the way we're supposed to live our faith. Colossians talks about as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How did we receive him by faith in his word. How are we to walk? By faith in his word. By faith. It is his might that brings us victory as we labor with him and for him. By the way, don't forget that. We don't just labor for him. We labor with him. We are labors together with God. See, that's the beauty of this. Almighty God is in the other part of the yoke, and he is providing He's not providing manpower. He's providing God power. That's good stuff. It's as good as it gets. So the issue in the following verses is not really written for a self-centered end. 
Now, let me explain what I'm talking about here. You know, it was quoted in the special music today, you know, put on the armor and then it went right down the pieces and all that. And here's what I'm saying by that. The passage about the armor of God is not really written for a self-centered end. In other words, it isn't simply written to keep the devil off your back. Many times we as Christians, that's what we look at. Okay, I'm going to put on the whole armor of God so I'm not hassled too much by Satan today. And we leave it there. But putting on the armor of God is not mainly for that. Putting on the armor of God is because we're going to war. Do you understand what I'm saying? It isn't, I'll put the armor on, Satan, leave me alone, I have my armor on. No, I'm putting the armor on because as a soldier, you're putting your armor on to do battle. Who in the world will want to walk around in armor if you didn't have a reason to do it? I'd say, boy, that's a weighty subject. Yeah, it's a weighty subject. A lot of pounds there, a lot of, lot of pounds. The context here, folks, is spiritual warfare, and it is for the souls of men. That is what it's for. It's for the souls of men. You might say, what do you mean by that? Well, that sounds pretty narrow. Well, you'll understand it as we look at the scriptures here. This is very clear, by the way, in verses 15 through 20, as we will see, but not today. Verse 11, it says this, Well, verse 10, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Our second point is this, we are to put on the whole armor of God. There's a reason that word is in there, the whole armor. This speaks of completeness. This doesn't speak of a haphazard way of doing it. It's okay, everything here is important. The idea is a seriousness or a commitment to doing it the way God says, being careful about it. This is not a nonchalant issue. It is a matter of effectiveness as good soldiers. That's why it's the whole armor of God. Can you imagine if, if you think, okay, yeah, we're supposed to be good soldiers. I'll put on the armor. And you put on the breastplate. You, you shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel and all of this. You don't put on a helmet. You don't take up a sword. And you say, okay, I guess I'm ready. And so you go out. You have no helmet. You have no sword. And you're going to engage the enemy? You're asking for trouble. We need all the armor. See, God, folks... God loves us. God wants us to feel secure in him. He wants us to know his love. And all of those things that we so often talk about in the Christian life, well, I need to be encouraged. I, you know, this or that, or I'm, I'm discouraged today. I need some encouragement and all. I get all that. I get all that. Yes. But understand we're soldiers. Fine. Get, we need to get those things from God. But again, it's not an end in itself. Okay, I feel comfortable. I feel spiritually warm and fuzzy now. No, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. Put on the whole armor of God. Remember, we are in a spiritual war and we all as believers are soldiers. All of us are soldiers. As was mentioned by Andy, are we good soldiers? or not. We are putting on the armor of God to be protected as we advance and engage in the battle. That's why we're putting on the armor. We will not get into the specific pieces of the armor today, but I do want to make an observation. 
In the days in which we live, folks, it is not surprising that so many Christians are being defeated and whose lives are literally in shambles today. This is the result of many things. It's a result of poor choices, but it's also the result of manipulation by demonic influences in the life. Anything to render us ineffective. Satan knows when a Christian gets saved, they have been drafted into the army of God. And so his main job is to stop us. I'm getting ahead of myself, but this is the truth. We need to understand this, okay? Which leads us to our next point. We are to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now that's, a, that's an interesting, the wiles of the devil. Now I would, growing up, you know, I, some cartoons, I kind of take it or leave it. But one cartoon I always enjoyed watching. Some of you know where I'm going with this. The Roadrunner. I was a fan of The Roadrunner. I was in an unusual way a fan of Wile E. Coyote too. And in this sense, I loved it when he got what he deserved. <laughs> Wily Coyote. Hmm, wiles. Boy, that sounds interesting. Well, there's a reason for that. You know, it's a very interesting thing. The word wiles means the schemes. Was he not always putting together a new scheme to try to catch the roadrunner, to destroy the roadrunner, to basically kill him so he could eat him? I'll use another word. So he could devour him. See, Satan has an overall plan and many smaller plans as to how to succeed. Now understand this. We'll step back. We'll look at the big picture. Satan wants to overcome God himself. We know that from scripture. He wants to be God. He wants to be the focus. That's why he said in the Old Testament, I will be like the most high. So he wants to get God out of the picture and he wants to be worshiped as God. Is he behind the scenes of wickedness in the world today? Certainly he's behind the scenes. Does he want people destroyed by drugs, by disease, by evil thoughts, etc.? Absolutely. But listen carefully now. It is much bigger than that. Much bigger than that. Which leads us to our subpoint in this, and it is this. Remember, we are to stand against the wiles or the strategies of the devil. And here's the point. Satan is a master deceiver. Now, you don't deceive people by blatant, obvious lies. You deceive people by making your lie as close as you can to the truth. That's where the greatest deceptions take place. You see the word where it says the wiles of the devil or the schemes of the devil? It's a very interesting Greek word. It's the Greek word methodia. We get our English word methods from it. Satan is a master deceiver. He has many methods that he uses to accomplish his work. And that's what we're talking about in the rest of this message today. And by the way, this idea of methods or wiles or schemes, it is always used, the word methodia, it's always used in a negative sense in the New Testament. You see, here's the point. He not only works in obvious ways, but more importantly, through counterfeits and deceptions. He has many tools 
to deceive Christians into not being effective in accomplishing God's work on the planet. Let me say that again. He has many ways, he has many tools that deceive Christians into not being effective in accomplishing God's work on the earth. Let me say this. I may be challenging some thinking this morning on this, or those of you tuning in, and I'm fine with that. All I'm asking you to do is this. Don't sit on your preconceived ideas. Sit on what the Bible says and see the big picture as God does. And I think you'll come to agreement with what I've got to say on this. Let me begin this section with this. He doesn't mind for Christians to get involved in things that deal with temporary improvements in society. He does not mind that. He doesn't mind you getting involved in temporary improvements in society. He really minds you getting involved in something that brings eternal solutions to the problem. That is what he doesn't want to happen. So I know there's a lot of good we can do, folks. And I know, you know, people say, well, wait a minute. Don't you think God's calling us to be salt and light in the world? Yes. Yes. But that's not the end of it. That's not the goal. Being salt and light, okay, people can look at me and they say, oh my, he's upstanding Christian. Look at the way he lives. He lives a pure life. He's godly. He's got a nice family. He's, got a, he's honorable in his work and all of that. Listen to me. If you don't open your mouth for Christ, you're the one who gets the glory. Christ is the one who's supposed to get the glory. Testimony, personal testimony is important, but it's not an end to itself. It enhances and opens doors for the message of the gospel. Satan does not mind us living moral lives. Why do you think the cults are growing so quickly? Why do you think the Mormons are growing so quickly? That is what they're doing. But they have an accursed gospel. They have a false message. They don't believe Jesus is God. They believe you earn your way to heaven. And to be honest with you folks, their theology, if you've ever examined it, it's like reading a comic book. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just telling you that is what it reminds me of. So again, he doesn't mind getting Christians involved in things that deal with temporary improvements rather than eternal solutions. But look at verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now that's not talking about Congress, okay? This is talking about in the heavenly realm, in the heavenly realm. See, here's the truth of it. Understand this. Now we as Christians, we get sidetracked. Again, who wants to sidetrack us? The devil wants to sidetrack us. Let me say this today. Man is not really the enemy. He is the target of the enemy. And yes, Satan manipulates people and puts thoughts in their minds and they do evil things and all of that. I get that, folks. But those individuals themselves, they're targets of the enemy. It goes deeper than that. It goes bigger than that. It goes longer than that. Yes, man still has a choice in what he will believe and what he will do, but that's not the end, which leads us to our next point. 
here it is. This is it. This is it. Satan's plan is to keep mankind lost and blind to the gospel. That is his plan. To keep mankind lost and blind to the gospel. Now think about it. If Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and that is his whole reason for coming to the world. If Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost, Satan wants to keep man from trusting in Jesus Christ as a Savior. In his mind, every person he can keep lost is a victory for him. Because in his mind... He's saying, yeah, see that? I won in this person's life. I won. That person died without Christ. I won. Satan not only wants to destroy people in this life, but even more so, he wants to destroy them in the life to come, which is forever. His biggest victories are eternal victories. Remember that. His biggest victories are eternal victories. Turn with me, hold your place, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 3. It says this, but if our gospel be hid, our message of salvation, the gospel is what brings eternal life, that message. For if our gospel be hid or hidden, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, little g, do you see that? It's talking about Satan. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. How does Satan blind the lost? We're going to talk about that. Folks, listen. This is the most important issue facing all mankind, saved and lost alike. Why do I say that? You might say, well, I'm already saved. So why is this such an issue? Because of the vast majority of mankind who is not. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so if they never hear it, they can't believe it. And if they don't believe it, they'll be lost in hell forever. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5 says. Do you know what that is, the ministry of reconciliation? It's the ministry, it's the message of the gospel. The message of reconciliation, how man can get reconciled back to God. It's through the work of Christ on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And through faith, trusting in Christ that he did that for us, God gives us eternal life and now we are reconciled back to God, simply through faith in Christ and what he did for us. That is the message of reconciliation. And we have the ministry to carry the message. We're ambassadors for Christ. See, time is the key commodity here. It is like a candle that has been lit. We can only use it up one time. Our life is like a candle. You can only live it once. You can only live it once. And once it's over, it's over. You might say, well, I'm good though. I'm saved. I'm saved. Yeah, amen to that. But let me ask you this. How are you using your life to help other people get saved? It's not just about me. For lack of a better term, it's not just about having fire insurance for yourself. How about all the other people who need it? That's why when Jesus saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. They're like sheep having no shepherd. He's the shepherd. They're like sheep having no savior. 
See, we can only use up our lives one time, and once it's lived, it's lived, never to be redone. Why not give it to what is the most important thing in the eyes of God? Who defines what's most important? God is the one who defines it. We have people at times, they'll, they'll, now most people nowadays, you know, it's, it's turned. Most people nowadays will have an event, any kind of event, and we always give the gospel. We always explain how to be saved at every event. I know some people come to a lot of our, our events. Years ago, we'd have people criticize us, you know. We'd have a Christmas concert, something, and I'd say, well, let me show you something. Uh, oh, here he goes again with the wallet. You don't have to do it with a wallet. You can do it with any object that you have. Okay, you could do it with a pen. Most of us can't relate to this, though, because most of us aren't this thin. <laughs> I thought it was great years ago when they came up with those, like, chubby pins, or I'm not sure what you call them. <laughs> pens, not pins, pens. Anyways, that's getting off the track. Here's the point. Let me tell you something. We are going to explain to people how to be saved every single event we have, every meeting we have. Why? Because we don't want to take a chance that there's somebody there who's not going to get, get to heaven. We want them to know how to be saved. Let me tell you something. If a church is not doing that, why aren't they doing that? Let's not assume. So here you go. How does Satan blind the world? Remember, he's a master deceiver, okay? How does he blind the world? Well, first, by giving counterfeit gospels through religion. You can work your way to heaven. This has been the message of religion down through the ages. You can earn your way to heaven by your good works. Adam and Eve, what did they do? They sinned, they were separated from God, and they went and they sewed fig leaves together. Okay, that was their work to cover their shame, to cover their sin. They sewed fig leaves together. No, that wasn't going to do it. A sacrifice had to be made. Works for salvation. That's what I grew up with until age 19. I always believed, I was taught, you earn your way to heaven. You have to be a good person. You have to be faithful to the church. You have to do your best. Give money. Be kind. Keep the Ten Commandments. Oh, what are they? Well, I'm not sure of all of them, but... I'll let you know. I'll do, I'll do a little digging. Wait a minute. How can you keep them if you don't know what they are? And then all the other stuff that got thrown into that. Well, you can't eat meat on Friday. Well, what's going to happen? It's a mortal sin. You'll go to hell if you eat meat on Friday. Yet 20 years later, it was okay. What about those poor people in the past? You see the problems with religion? All it does is confuse. You can't earn your way to heaven according to the Bible. But then Satan got a little bit, he stepped up his game, if I could call it that. Now it wasn't, you know, people started, under, oh, oh, you can't earn your way to heaven. So Satan comes in, he says, wait a minute, here you go. We'll mix it with faith. We'll say it's faith and works. That's what we call today lordship salvation, that you have to live a godly life or commit yourself to live a godly life before God will save you. You have to promise you're going to change your life. You have to promise to live a right life and all this kind of stuff today. Mixing grace and works, that is a counterfeit gospel. It is a heavenly way to go to hell. That's what it is. You can't lift your little finger to save yourself. That's the message of the Bible. Look, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. 
Can I tell you this today? And I say this as a pastor who's been pastoring for many decades. I hate to say this, but one of the most dangerous places on the planet is the pulpit. Because with the pulpit comes an image of authority in speaking for God. And when a man gets up and adds to the finished work of Christ on the cross as a means of salvation, that is an accursed message by God. It is anathema in the eyes of God. God hates it. And that message does not save. It doesn't matter who preaches it, whether a person is a very popular preacher or a a no-name. If it's not faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, it's not the gospel. Satan, no, he wants to come and he's got all these other messages and they just line up one behind the other, behind the other, behind the other. The Bible says grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And they say, well, that's true, but that's not all of it. There's a little bit more. No, that's the devil talking when he says there's more. Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it's finished, paid in full. How dare we come along and say, well, there's something, no, you have to promise some things. It's not a gift. I mean, it's a, it's a gift, but that's not what gift means. Yes, it is what gift means. Gift means gift. How is it that little preschoolers understand what a gift is and theologians don't get it? Salvation's a gift because we can't be good enough to earn it. That's why grace came to our rescue, folks. But Satan will do anything he can to pollute the message into something that's grace plus man being faithful. 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity in Christ. Verse 13 of the same passage. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. And look at what it says, whose end shall be according to their works. Why? They rejected faith in Christ as the means. That's why it says in Romans 1.16, Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, singular, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. That's all it says, believe. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Not faith in works, not faith in commitment, not faith in reformation, not faith in baptism, not faith in walking an aisle, not faith in anything. It's faith alone in Christ alone. That's the only true gospel. That's the only message. But Satan wants to pollute it. He wants to pollute it. So we see, how does he blind the world? By giving counterfeits counterfeit gospels through religion, but secondly, by getting Christians to present a false gospel through bad terminology. I'm talking about born-again people. But see, they listen to too many preachers and they read too many books. Instead of reading what the Bible says, then their mind gets confused and their mind gets polluted by religious jargon that doesn't make any sense. But they'll start using it because Dr. So-and-so uses it. Or the church I grew up with said this, and it's not biblical. 
This is often an issue of true Christians giving a false message, and it happens. This is by using terms that are not clear or right, or by adding works to grace, and not even even understanding that's what they're doing sometimes. Yes, that is the case sometimes, folks. Deceived Christians are giving a false gospel. I'm not saying everybody is a true believer in Christ. I'm just saying there are cases of that. By the way, that's one of the purposes the book of Galatians was written. Let me give you a couple, and and I'm not trying to be mean by this. I'm just telling you, I'm just trying to instruct today. People say, well, the way you're saved, you ask Jesus to come into your heart. I know people mean well by that. Do you know that's nowhere in the Bible? Did you know that's nowhere in the Bible? Well, that's how I got saved. You really didn't. If you got saved, somewhere in what you heard was that Jesus died and paid for all your sins and rose from the grave. And you put your faith in him to get you to heaven. That's how you're saved. Here's another one. Give him your life. Give him your life. That's a popular one. Here's another one. Make a commitment of your life. All of those have the thought of, okay, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to live a good life, okay? I'm going to commit to doing that. Folks, once you're saved, that's fine, But if you're thinking you have to perform to be saved, you're not saved yet. You're not saved yet. The most modern one that I've heard in the last few years is this. Become a Christ follower. I'd say, what's wrong with that? Doesn't the Lord want us to follow him? Once we're saved, yes. But to say you have to follow Christ is, you know what you're, think about the words, become a Christ follower. What is that person saying? You have to follow Christ. What does that mean? You have to live a life of obedience to him. What is that? That's works for salvation. Well, I don't know. You know, I hear it on the Christian radio. And I mean, Christian radio. Christian radio is not the Bible. I'm telling you, Satan is doing a masterful job today in messing it up. Now listen, if people don't hear the gospel, they're not going to get saved. And that's exactly where Satan wants it to stay. That's his master plan. And so they'll hear a false gospel through lost people. And then they hear a messed up gospel through saved people. If our gospel be hid, it's hid to those who are lost. We hide the gospel by not making the gospel clear. And by not being faithful with it. Here's what I'm saying. Let's say for an example, now this is before GPS. Let's say for an example, do you remember the old days when you invited somebody over your house? They say, well, where do you live? And you gave them the address. They say, well, where is that? How do I get there? And you say, okay, I'll tell you what, let me draw you a map. Or you draw the map, or maybe you don't draw the map, but you say this, okay, you know where so-and-so is, that road? Yeah, you go down that road, you go about a mile, and then you, you take a left and you go in and it's, it's two stop signs and then you take a right and you get it and you rehearse it with them and they've got it and you are as clear as you could be. You've done that person a favor. You've given them directions from point A to point B. You've given them directions from where they're at to home, your home. Folks, If you love that person, you're not going to give them directions that confuse them and discourage them. You're going to be as clear as you can be. That is how we as believers should be. When we give the gospel, we need to be as clear as we could be. Why? We want them to find their way to our home, to the Father's house. 
right? So let's be careful what we say. Let me give you something else. Here's another way Satan works, by getting Christians to ruin their testimonies through sin. The end result of that is that we will be too ashamed to witness to the lost because our lives are such a disaster. They end up with the fear of their sin being thrown back into their face because of their hypocritical life that they're living. So they shut their mouths. And listen, a Christian who has a shut mouth is a Christian who's not fulfilling their purpose as a soldier. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Zealous of good works. You might say, well, I thought you said the way you live doesn't matter. No, I never said that. What I'm saying, what I said is this, it's not an end in itself. God wants us to have a walk and a talk that are consistent with one another. If I'm going to talk about the saving power of Jesus Christ, I ought to be manifesting that in the way I live my life. None of us are perfect. I get that. None of us are perfect. But if I live a terrible lifestyle, and then I tell somebody, hey, let me tell you what Jesus can do for you. It's like, I don't see anything different in you than what I've already got. They're already turned off on the front end. I'm not saying the gospel can't save them. I'm saying this. They probably aren't going to want to hear it from somebody whose lives is the same or worse than theirs. God wants us to have a good testimony. I believe we need to be salt as Jesus taught, but it needs to go further to the biggest issue of all, which is the gospel. The gospel. Let me give you one more. Here's another way Satan works, by getting believers to adopt false priorities for their lives. False priorities. Recreation becomes your God. Work becomes your God. Hobbies becomes your God. Self-image becomes your, your God. A reputation. Even family becomes your God. Okay? Even Christian causes that may have some importance but are not the priority. Satan wants us distracted. He doesn't want us focused. He doesn't want us faithful. He doesn't want us effective with the gospel. And he'll do all he can to keep us from accomplishing that. All these factors play into the hand of Satan to keep the true gospel from the lost. And if they die lost, they are going to spend forever separated from God in hell. This is serious, folks. Satan says to his demons, guys, we must keep the believers from sharing the gospel with the lost. Let's step up our game, guys. Let's find new ways to keep the believers from sharing the gospel with the lost. Let's get them distracted. Let's get them to invest their lives in maybe good causes, but not eternal ones. You only have one life to live, right? In verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Folks, two times in this passage, in four verses, two times it talks about putting on the whole armor of God. Listen carefully now. Listen carefully. Maybe you're here today and you might say, well, wait a minute, I've, I believe those things. I, I believe I need to follow Christ and walk with him and live for him. And if I do that, just faithful enough, if I'm really sincere, God, God will let me into heaven. He can't let you into heaven. You're trusting in your own merit. You're trusting in your, the way you live 
to get you in, friend. It doesn't matter if it's the Ten Commandments. It doesn't matter if it's some other list of good deeds. No good works will get you to heaven. Let me show you how to know for sure you're going to heaven. This hand representing you and me, this wallet representing our sin. God says we are all sinners. Yet the Bible tells us this. He doesn't hate us. He loves us. God loves us. He hates our sin. To get into heaven, very important, to get into heaven, you have to be sinless in the eyes of God. Not a good guy. You have to be perfect in God's eyes. In other words, all your sin is gone. But we're sinners. And God says, yes, you are. And your sin brings with it a penalty. If you die with your sin, and we've all sinned, if you die with your sin, you'll be lost forever in a literal hell. God doesn't want that for any of us. Religion comes along and says, oh, okay, well, I'll step up my game. I'll turn over a new lease on life. You know, I'll I'll live a better life. I'll be a better person. I promise, God, I'm going to quit all these bad things that I'm doing. And certainly that'll help. No, it doesn't do it. Death is the only payment. Good works won't get you there. That's why it says over here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works. Not of works. Your works won't save you. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So, what are we going to do? In ourselves, there's nothing we can do. That's why God so loved you and me that he gave his only begotten son. This hand representing the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the sinless one. He came into the world and he went to the cross of Calvary. And when he died on the cross, he took all of our sin upon himself. He made the complete payment for every sin that you've ever done or will do. He paid it all by his death. He was buried, and three days later, he rose from the grave. He says this, if you will believe that he has paid for all your sins, the payment he made is good on your behalf, okay? He'll give you everlasting life. All your sins are taken care of. All your sins are forgiven. All your sins were taken care of through his payment on the cross, All he's asking you to to believe, he did that for you personally. And if you do, he will give you everlasting life. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. And once you have it, you can't lose it. Because if you could lose it, how would you lose it? You would lose it by doing some sin. But wait a minute. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all your sins. So there's no way you could lose it. If you can't go to hell, you can certainly then go to heaven. When you trust Christ, your sins are taken away. He gives you his righteousness. He gives you everlasting life. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ to get you to heaven and him alone, would you today put your faith in Christ? Put your faith in Christ. He'll save you. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.